With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Exposing the motives and agenda of the world's most powerful. Unleashed. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome to Unleashed with your host, Mark Morano, coming at you on TNT Radio. All right, well... We had a big viral weekend, if you will. Uh, you know, this week at TNT, uh, last week at TNT, we're sending out clips, highlight clips of our uh, videos of our shows. And I chose the party celebration, uh, which I had last week woo-hoo, with the hat and the blowers and the champagne. And it was about a two minute clip, which TNT Radio posted on Twitter. And the thing went viral. I mean, I got more comments on that. And then I retweeted and then I quoted it, I pulled a still from it, and then I mixed it in with my Fox News hit where I was actually smoking a celebratory cigar. It was actually a vape cigar. And I got more replies and more retweets and new followers. It was a great weekend. You can go on uh, my Twitter at at Climate Depot and take a look or go to the TNT Twitter uh, and take a look. But uh, people really responded well to that. People were celebrating along with me. You know, failure of a UN climate summit is good news for humanity. Good news for the earth. Good news for people, kids. Good news for development. Good news for wealth, prosperity. Good news to eradicate hunger and poverty. The last thing you want is a successful United Nations Climate Summit. So on that vein, I just wanted to give you a couple updates. Since my big celebration on Friday, uh, and again, you can I'll probably show this again uh, on tomorrow's show just to have some fun with it. But I call it, let's celebrate the little victories and let's hope it's more than a little victory on this front. But the uh, the analysis is coming in from the UK Guardian, from Net Zero Watch, uh, and from a host of people. The Wall Street Journal called it the phony climate promises of COP28. Don't believe the hype that governments are phasing out fossil fuels. So they had a lot of fun with that. Financial Times, of course, uh, fretted over the investors fret over the, quote, weak impact of COP28 deal. All of this, good news, good news for the earth, good news for humanity. So that's why we were celebrating uh, last week. And I wanted to give you a couple updates uh, of what's happened, plus one big climate breaking news story. Uh, First of all, a couple of things in the news. Elon Musk took the opportunity of the end of COP28, the UN Climate Summit, to basically say climate alarm is exaggerated and, quote, I don't think we should demonize oil and gas, unquote. Now, he did say that in the medium term, we shouldn't worry about climate, but kind of like in the long term, it's an issue. and We need to start getting, you know, reducing our emissions. This is a big change, which you could call almost a red pill moment for Elon Musk, because about 10 years ago, and when I, a few years after starting Climate Depot, I was following Elon Musk and he was saying all kinds of you know alarmist things about climate. And of course, you got to look at people's motives and you got to look at their position. He was saying a lot of that, I believe, as a campaign cause, because at the time he was still pushing Tesla and he was dealing with automakers and he was dealing with government funding and government infrastructure and government support. And that was during the Obama administration. And this would have been a very music to all of these bureaucrats and funders and financial institutions ears that the guy that they're about to make even richer with billions of dollars with government grants and subsidies and even his space station, which came later, all of them, he has to be a he had to be a player in the system. Now, what I find fascinating about Elon Musk is 
Somewhere along the line, he decided he didn't want to be a player within the system. And I got one word for you, Twitter or X. I guess that's two words, but pick a word. It's one of the other two words. It's X. Him taking over Twitter slash X basically signaled to the establishment, to the ruling class elite, to the powers that be, to the government, to the man, that he's no longer interested. Uh, and he's going to pay dearly. Now, he's not going to be homeless. He's not going to be on the street. He's not going to be even paying a lot of, he's not going to be hurting. However, I will make this prediction on TNT Radio live on this date, which is December 18th, 2023. The days of Elon Musk even being in the top three wealthiest individuals in the world are probably over for good. Uh, I mean, unless he reverts back, but I think they have so many different ways to go after him. Look at how they, look at what they've done with Donald Trump. Look at what they've done with Bolsonaro. And I'm not saying that Elon Musk is some hero of the working class or hero against the establishment, but he's positioned himself just enough on free speech with Alex Jones, uh, with what he's done with Twitter and, and, and challenging the deep state that there, because so much of his wealth, because so much of his net worth was tied to his space projects, which required government cooperation, support, and funding. And of course, EVs, Tesla, which requires government support, mandates, subsidies, et cetera. They're going to dry up. And um, there's nothing he can really do to prevent it. He's still going to be a very wealthy man. He's, probably, he's still going to be in the billionaire. But I just don't think he's going to be able to compete with the likes of people like Jeff Bezos anymore. I just don't think it's possible. Uh, and if he keeps on this trajectory, they'll go after him even more and his wealth will decline. So mark my prediction, I, you know, I'm not an expert on finance, but I feel this gutturally. I mean, you can't do what he's doing. And now on climate and energy saying, don't demonize it. He is a villain. One of his biggest class of supporters, maybe five years ago, eight years ago, were the liberals, the Hollywood liberals, the academic liberal. I'm going to buy a Tesla because they could buy this car. Al Gore, buy a car that was beautiful and high torque and, you know, completely impractical. But hey, this could be your second, third car. It's great. No problem. You don't want to go rely on charging grids as you travel anywhere or have a long commute or extreme cold weather, et cetera. But that, first of all, customer base has been eradicated. And of course, not only has the customer base been eradicated for Elon Musk, but his more important customer base, not the consumer, not the you know the rank and file citizens or even your millionaire Hollywood or liberal activists, but the government establishment mandates, subsidies and contracts. That is what's going to go. Uh, I mean, they went after Donald Trump to the point where he probably couldn't even open a new hotel in the private sector. So imagine Elon Musk trying to navigate space stations and uh, and navigate uh you know, the EV mandates now with, you know, with him, he's going to be the last on the list when they're shoveling out our billions of dollars in tax subsidies, whether it's California or the federal government or the EU or you name it. Um, and he also didn't, there was during the Russian invasion of Ukraine, early days, the first couple of weeks, there was a call for Elon Musk to shut down all Teslas in Russia remotely. Apparently it's a thing. You can shut down the cars remotely and you can do it. Now, Ford has a patent to shut down your car remotely if you don't pay your car loan. There's a whole new thing in the provision, which I believe has now passed the House and will probably pass the Senate if it hasn't already passed the Senate, in a federal highway authorization bill that allows you to, uh, you know, the, to, the cars to take your breath, future cars to take your breath and shut down the car if it detects alcohol that you might be drunk driving or someone in the car is drunk. So much for the sober driver, right? 
So this is something the, 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 the deep state, if you will, has wanted is to control our cars. Anyway, Elon Musk refused to deactivate Teslas in Russia right after the Ukraine invasion, which was interesting because this was a, you know, a big demand. They just wanted to punish. This was when you remember we were all paying more at the pump, more for groceries, inflation and energy. And we just stick it at the Putin. That's right. I mean, stick it to Putin. Oh, I love it. I would have paid triple the gas because that Putin's really getting it. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, wait, Putin aligned with China and is doing just fine. Anyway, that's another issue. But that's Elon Musk uh, really coming around. So I thought that was important. Um, one of the other analysis was uh, Robert Lyman of Net Zero Watch did a great article, the COP28 charade. COP28 was a spectacular failure as measured against the goals the UN had set for itself from the beginning. And he goes on, it did not achieve one of the single objectives that climate activists sought. Even more important, in spite of the voluntary commitments the various governments made, mostly aimed at domestic audiences, it virtually certain to have little or no effect on global trends or emissions or on the climate. And remember, when you look at these going back to the Rio Earth Summit, which George H.W. Bush got us into, it makes no difference. What, what we're talking about with no matter how many UN climate summits, CO2 is here and CO2 continues to rise. They've made butkus, 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 butkus. Okay, so on that note, I want to play you clip one. I was on Laura Ingram last week and we were talking about the wrap up to this COP28. And I just thought this would be a fun clip for you to sort of uh, explain it all and where we stand. And eventually we're going to get completely off COP28. We're very close. It's all wrapped up now. And I'm still doing some of the postmortem because it's fun to do. So let's play clip one. This is me on Laura Ingram last week explaining what COP28 was all about. Well, today you need to hug your children because the UN and 190 plus nations have announced the end of fossil fuels. Now, keep in mind, 100 years ago, the world, 80% of our energy came from fossil fuels. And today, 80% of our energy comes from fossil fuels. But hey, it's going away. You know what? The Secretary General, former president of Socialist International, Laura, the media doesn't seem to mention that very much, but the Secretary General said, whether you like it or not, fossil fuels are going away. Well, gee, if that's the case, then these COP meetings are going away. You had the British Foreign Secretary, King Charles, and Richie Rich, Richie Sunak, their prime minister, wow. fly three separate private jets to this. In many ways, this is just absolute virtue signaling, Laura. But here's the thing. Since March of 2020, the whole world has changed. They are lusting after what they saw in COVID. And the most significant thing of this COP28 happened about a week before COP28. And that's when a couple hundred medical journals urged the World Health Organization to declare climate change a public health threat. We and the idea that. here is to bring this under uh, public health authority. So if you can declare a you know COVID emergency or you can declare any kind of public health pandemic, you can now call climate change that. And that's what they're looking for. Yeah. Bypass democracy. And that's the whole setup. And that's why this is really window dressing for the real power happening behind the scenes. And I think that's exactly right. So when they say, when this, just so we're clear, because there is some confusion, when I say COP28 was a failure and I'm celebrating, I mean their stated goals have failed and the whole kabuki theater and all the, you know, all the pomp and circumstance, they even failed by their own standards. What I just told Laura Ingram on Fox News was the key. And I really believe the real power of this UN climate agenda, net zero, Green New Deal came 
from the public health establishment. And it was about 10 days before the UN Climate Summit with the 200 medical journals urging the United Nations and the World Health Organization to declare a global health emergency. And that is what they're after. They're not interested in convincing you. They're not interested in getting your vote. They're not interested in you pressuring your congressman because they don't need you, your vote, democracy, Congress, legislation. They're doing whatever the beep they want because they've figured out the COVID model, declare an emergency and do whatever the beep you want. And so that's that. Okay, I wanted to play you clip two. This is a GOP, it's a House member at a hearing with an environmentalist grilling her about the science. And this just gives you an idea of what happens when people are put to the test. Listen to the environmental activists who can't even really respond in an intelligent way. So let's roll clip two. You wanna end all plastic manufacturing? I said the plastics industry must be stopped. So does that mean end plastic manufacturing? I mean, in my dream world, sure. But I think that, so, um, oh, so oh what, go ahead. No, so I, I, and I don't mean to be condescending here. I just point out, what's going to replace your glasses? Um, like, so I do your know. glasses around your face? They're, they're made of plastic. Maybe. No, I don't know what they're made out of. They are. What, so, what about, and I'll just point out some things here because I just want to be realistic when we're having conversations because when statements are made like this, I just want to open people's eyes and say, well, what? okay, that's easy to say, but what's the solution? Your water bottle in front of you. This one? Yes. That plastic? No. The lid is. That's plastic. Right. So right. It, I would say to your stuff. question that I would first be concerned about single-use plastics, and then we can talk your, about alternatives your, to this. Your, your cell phone there, the plastic? The cases, but it's glass because I broke oh, the components the inside screen of it's not yesterday. Plastic. The components made out of it's not in plastic? Yeah, they are. The water that you filled that water bottle up with, um, where'd you fill that water bottle up out of? A water filling station. All right, and it was delivered by a drink station that was plastic? I didn't check. The edges are. The piping coming to it. Now, you have a couple of choices with the piping. Um, we could go back to using wood, but then you have to have line it in chemical. Uh, or we could go back <coughs> and use lead, because we used to have water piping that was lead. That was harmful to us. Uh, we'd go back to galvanized, but galvanized rust and had discoloration. Um, we'd go back to copper, but, but copper has to be mined and everybody wants to stop mining in the US. So you use plastic to deliver piping that you fill that water bottle up with today. I, I point this out because the clothes you have on, I guarantee you have plastic in it. The shoes you have on your feet, the soles of those shoes are plastic. So we talk about any, any manufacturer, plastic manufacturing and everybody in here cheers when you say that, but everybody here is depending on plastic as you set. So if you want to end it, then quit using it. It's kind of like, I don't sharp it or shop at certain places right now because I don't agree with some of their policies. I choose not to do that. You can choose to not use plastic, do your work. If, 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 if you believe it, then live it that way. And, and, and if not, then tell me what the solution is. Wow. Bravo. That was environmental activist Angel Bradford just being grilled by the Republican congressman. I got to say, impressive from beginning to end. What a job he did. 
just deconstructing her whole argument. And unfortunately, when you do the same to a climate activist, and I'll have the clip tomorrow or the next day of the exact same kind of line of questioning in Congress, once you start challenge them on their talking points, they're out of ammo. Uh, you know, was it James Stockdale? I'm out of ammo. You know, Ross Perot's running mate. That's what they're, they're completely out of ammo. And I, I want to devote an entire show one time to plastics here on TNT because I think it's that important to go through how many things are made with plastic, what the actual sea of plastic is, the plastic crisis we have. And of course, it comes down to a few Asian nations that need to clean up their practices for the oceans. Um, and the other thing with plastic is I live in the state of Virginia in, in, in the United States. We now have uh, local ordinances getting rid of, you have to pay for plastic bags. And the the default option of these paper bags where the handles, like for groceries, and you, just, you pick them up and they shred apart completely. Our quality of life is going down with straws. We got the kind of straws that dissolved in your mouth. It's quality of life issue. And once again, I don't, we never voted to have this. We, well, we want to ban plastics. We want to get, we want paper straws that dissolve in your mouth. We want no plastic. Sorry, no way. And that this is just part of that agenda. Things just seem to happen without anyone knowing why. And that's the same way schools were closed and churches were closed and weddings were canceled and funerals you couldn't go to and you couldn't go to um, get medical treatment or have backyard barbecues or stay at home. All of it was just done because we were ordered to do it and we accepted. And hey, we're a compliant people. Okay, last clip for this break. This is from Barney Miller, 1977. It just gives you an idea how everything old is new again. This was during the cooling period, the global cooling period of the 1970s, the Ice Age scare. Let's take a look at how Hollywood portrayed an era which, hey, now they claim never existed. There was no global cooling scare. In fact, they did peer-reviewed studies proving that this was all made up. Barney Miller, TV sitcom, 1977, roll clip three. Uh, Captain, this is Jerome Grodin. He was standing outside in front of the bus terminal poking people with this thing. I, I was just trying to get their attention. What for? To, to, to save them. It all started last year, the worst winter on record. And people refused to be aware. Aware of what? the beginning of the next great ice age. <laughs> hey, be careful with those. They're documented proofs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you have a seat here, you can give your statement to the but, officer. But it's all there for everyone to see. Uh, okay. the, 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 the change of the climate, the, the, the shifting of the axis, uh -huh. the, 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 the cooling of the oceans. You put all of that in the statement. Your name, your address, yeah. which oceans okay. are cooling. <laughs> Did you know that the perimeter of the polar ice cap has been increasing at a rate of 46 feet per year since 1900? Yes, I did. <laughs> Dietrich, it's uh, snowing heavier than ever. You don't think that uh, he's right, do you? Well, of course, a new ice age can't happen overnight. However, scientists have been detecting disturbing changes in weather conditions which could theoretically result in a calamity, such as an ice age in our lifetime. I don't know. Hey, Drake. Wow, all I can say is beautifully done, very funny. Most of the stats that I could detect there were cited from the claims at the time about the expanding Arctic or the coming ice age, all the, the, the global cooling coming, inevitable. We had Walter Cronkite, you had ABC News, you had CIA reports, you had peer-reviewed publications, you had NASA scientists, you had scientists who later converted, Stephen Schneider, who was a man-made global cooling activist, switched to a man-made global warming activist. Incredible clip.
Uh, and I will do a deep dive one day into this whole global cooling 1970s thing. All right, we're over time here. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT Radio. We're going to come back with Paul Taylor, author of Climate Fetish, a new book as film documentary. Environmental scientist Paul Taylor, when we come back, stay tuned. TNT Radio's Kate Shimarani. Don't stop taking prescription medication. Always go and see your indoctrinated GP, always. But with psychiatric drugs, you have to actually wean off them. They're very addictive and you have to wean off them. Now, I find all this really concerning. But what I cannot get my head around is the worst drug of all. They just let it on the market all the time. Sugar, 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 sugar. And then that's not even to bring in like MSG, monosodium glutamate. And, and I... If I, I can say, you know, you go into one of these garages and you see all the people going for food. There's nothing to eat in there. I very rarely can find anything to eat in any of these places. And if you go into the supermarket, there's only the first two aisles that have got real food. The rest, it, it's not food. And I see what people buy. I've covertly actually filmed people's trolleys, not them, don't get all excited, but I have filmed trolleys uh, to have a look what people are buying. And it's shocking because what you eat determines what your brain's going to be like and your teenagers' brains do not stop developing till they're about 25 years of age. Kate Shimarani on TNT Radio. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. At first, like so many other women out there, I ignored my symptoms. A slight pressure on my chest, shortness of breath. I thought, I don't have time to be sick. I had a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries. Stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. I'm so grateful to the American Heart Association. Their research helped save my life. I can enjoy life with my children, my grandchildren, and my friends. Please, listen to your heart. The only reason I'm here today is because I did. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. Without CO2, the world stops breathing. CO2 sustains all life on Earth. Government, the WEF, and the elite believe humans are the carbon they really want to be rid of. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano. All right, joining us now is environmental scientist Paul Taylor, author of Climate Fetish, a new book which you should be getting. Uh, welcome, to the pro welcome back to the program, Paul. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be with you. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit. First of all, what is your scientific background, engineering background? And then yeah. tell us how you came to write this book. Yeah, that's uh, thank you very much. Uh, it's somewhat autobiographical, I guess. To, to, so I, I was uh, in graduate school. I worked my way through graduate school at Tulane University in New Orleans in the last century. I'll just be kind. <laughs> last century. <laughs> and and um, I. Uh, you know, studied pollution control. It was environmental science. It was half pollution control, and the other half was was uh, toxics and uh, environmental health, that sort of thing. But it covered water pollution, air pollution, solid waste, the entire suite. Uh, of, but at at that time, the national laws, the U.S. laws on on uh, the environment in environmental law class, were there were only about four major Clean Water Act. Clean Air Act, uh, National Environmental Policy Act, 
uh, hazardous waste management, that sort of thing. Um, but I was intrigued about all of this because these, the laws and subsequent uh, cascade of regulations uh, led me to the term eco-politics because all of those pertinent solutions or to the problems of pollution uh, were laws. It's politics, clear and simple. And um, so I, you know, made a career of following environmental regulations, got paid to do it. Um, and uh, I have come to the point that uh, I wanted to say a few things about it. And I have a, a proposal that may not may or may not be so obvious to anybody. Uh, so after 45 years of, of being involved in environmental politics and by virtue thereof uh, law, uh, I uh, come to the conclusion that the worst thing that happened to start all this and elevate CO2 as well as other uh, 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 environmental, well, well, greenhouse gases, let's put them that way, was the Clean Air Act revisions of 2007, where they named greenhouse gases. And through the Massachusetts versus EPA Supreme Court decision, the finding of an endangerment, um, CO2 that you and I just exhaled became a pollutant, became a pollutant, blows my mind. Uh, so my doubt uh, was exposed then, and I've been skeptical about it ever since. I mean, my God, oxygen and CO2 are the two metabolites of all of the life on earth, those two. And uh, they chose CO2, I suppose, because they could connect oil or petroleum to it, or that it's a waste gas, uh, that sort of thing. But my God, oxygen, its analog is explosive. It promotes con combustion. So why, 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 why not make oxygen uh, as well, uh, uh, you know, a uh, endangerment? Blows my mind. So I've been- Well, actually, go, go ahead, sorry. Well, I've, just, I've been skeptical since then, um, and here we are. All right, well, here, I, I hate to, I'm going to interject breaking news. I don't know if you've seen this yet. I just posted it. I was actually going to save this story for tomorrow for my show uh -huh. Unleashed on TNT, but here it is. Peer-reviewed study published in PLOS1, yeah. human breathing contributes to global warming. This just came out are. this past week. There you are. And yeah. just so you understand what they're saying for the listeners, it's a study titled Measurements of Methane and Nitrous Oxide in Human Correct. Breath and Development. And they literally talk about how it's contributing to global warming. So, you know, you talked about Massachusetts versus EPA 2007 for the first time regulating human exhaling as, as uh, CO2 as a pollutant. This is now codifying it. What's your comment on this new study? And should are we the carbon they want to eliminate? Well, Humans. Uh, should I hold my breath? Um, <laughs> no, it, it, this is the greatest. It, I, I figured some, I, it's been a joke to me for, for many, many years. Well, you know, that you just exhaled a pollutant. And <laughs> yeah. uh, now it's now 
look where we are. Uh, it's it's insane. It is totally insane. Um, I, I did, it, it's interesting that they expanded it from CO2, which we exhale, but also the, I guess, the level of methane in our breath and nitrous oxide in human breath. Now, well, Scientific American uh, uh, recently had a publication saying that our consumption of too much meat turns from the, the nitrogen fertilizer turns to nitrous oxide, which makes our pee, human pee, is a greenhouse gas causing problem. So they're coming after us from our breath, from our right. body excrements. Right. Your comment. <laughs> this is anti, this is anti-human. This is very much anti-human. Uh, first, they wanted to inconvenience us. Then they want to want us to pay for all this stuff. And now they are saying that we as individual breathing and living, breathing human beings are the culprits uh, or that we're some contribution to that uh, is is I can only use the word insane. Um, yeah, it makes you think of the Fauci mask mandates a little differently too. Remember, they were going after our breathing then as well during yeah, the, during yeah. the virus scare. Now they're going after our breathing again during a climate scare. Makes yeah. you think they don't want us alive, or they want us to be very restricted in our movement and breathing. Right, right. Uh, I, I, I I I really don't have words to, to comment. I heard, this, <laughs> okay. I heard this as you did uh, in the yeah. news lately, and. Uh, yes. I don't get it. I don't get it. So, okay. Uh, all right. So, all right, so how do we fix? How do we? What? What are we supposed to do? Um, change our respiration or something, or, or wear a? Uh, sequest, well, I think the home sequestration. The, well, the ultimate solution I think is they want less of us. Uh, they, you know, the yeah. UN has stated German climate advisor Hans Schulenhuber, who I interviewed, wants about a billion people. That's the carrying capacity of the Earth. They get very yeah. uncomfortable yeah. with more than a billion. Yeah. And we have, of course, yeah. eight billion now, or seven and a half, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, should we? Are we going to have individual sequestration of carbon, like in our <laughs> yes. home? Are we going to have a sequestration unit in our garage? Uh, <laughs> by the way, this sequestration thing—I did some research on on this over the weekend—and the uh, Iceland has uh, one of the largest and so-called most successful. Uh, free air extraction of CO2. And what they do is, and by the way, they, their notes tell me that CO2 is released uh, at the rate of 44 billion tons a year, including uh, our exhalation, and that they need to remove between two and 11 billion tons a year to somehow accommodate a change in, in the direction of the climate. Where does this stuff come from? And these they're getting a tremendous amount of money for this stuff. Yeah. And I, I think that Al Gore in 2008, or after the, the CO2 becomes a pollution, has threw a party for all of these uh, venture capitalists to come up with these all of these schemes for carbon trading. You realize that they're going to be these carbon captures are going to be selling the carbon that they take out of the air at some rate and put in the ground uh, per ton, something like $100 per ton. It's crazy. It's crazy. Wow. All right. Well, so you got involved in this. You wrote your book. Tell us a little bit about your book and what message you're conveying and what you're, 
what you want readers to come away with from uh you know from your book uh yeah. the climate of politics uh, i guess climate fetish and why is it why the title fetish it sounds kinky or something what's the story behind that well it's to get you know to get you thinking but uh, <laughs> But uh, no, it really means something like a religion or some sort of right uh, that is uh, abnormally adhered to or, or uh, something that's uh, just irrational. You're compelled is, to do whether you want to or not. Yeah, right. It's a cult, cultish. It's a cultish thing, environmental, environmentalism. And as we spoke uh, previously, uh, the uh, Sierra Club back in, uh, I guess, 2005 or so said, environmentalism, thank God, is the uh, densest uh, organized movement, political movement that's in the world, in human history. So uh, there's plenty of people out there uh, to uh, carry the banner, uh, to glue themselves around and destroy uh, uh historic art figures. Uh, I just, well, uh, speaking about, you know, I, I don't know if you heard before you came on, I played the clip of the environmental activist who wants to ban plastic uh, mm -hmm. being interviewed. And they literally didn't know that everything they were sitting there at the congressional hearing was all made out of plastic. Sure. What do you make of this war on plastic? And how is this, you know, as I was mentioning, we got the paper straws that dissolve without anyone voting for it. Uh, right. We now have plastic bags disappearing from all our stores and we have these paper bags that fall apart or you can have your bacteria ridden reusable bags if you want right, but right. why the war on plastic and is plastic that bad and are they and how are they getting this done once again what seems like they're bypassing democracy again and just imposing this agenda upon yes. us yeah this is this is this is a prescriptive uh, regulations not the uh, market-based regulations that's that's in, in part of my book is they force this stuff down your throat with any without any recognition of the cost and not just the inconvenience of the bags uh and by the way they're also uh, connecting plastic mic microscopic plastic or plastic waste in the oceans now that are they're polluting the oceans and they're beginning to say that these plastics are in our water supplies now and i i don't know how they what the pathway to any human harm would be from that stuff. I, I just don't, unless you're swallowing the bag whole. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. it, 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 it's the climate has become the, uh, the simple, and I mean by that simple ton, uh, excuse for all of this stuff. It really has. Uh, okay, well, we're talking with Paul, environmental scientist Paul Taylor, we're talking about his book, Climate Fetish. Uh, and we're, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano. We'll be right back after these messages to talk a little bit more about uh, the COP and uh, some of the more recent climate studies out. I'm going to get his opinion on. Uh, this is the uh, TNT Radio. Stay tuned. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I think we have a big problem globally with the perception that people have, especially with people who I think are quite intelligent. They're well off. They're well-meaning. And yet they have bought into the whole man-made climate change scam. I was at a holiday party last night 
and a lady that was here had a Tesla and I have nothing against Tesla. So I was asking her, well, how long does it take you to charge a Tesla? She says five hours. That's in her garage. And I said, well, what if you're traveling cross country? She says, I'll look up rapid charging station. I said, okay, okay. And how long does that take? A half hour. So let me get this straight. You have to plan your trip so that you will stop for a half hour at charging stations. You have to go look along the route. I mean, I travel across the United States all the time. It takes me three minutes to fill my tank for 400 miles, not a half hour to recharge it. And what's interesting is it's tough enough to figure out which hotel to stay in as opposed to trying to find a charging station. But if you have a lot of money, that's fine. But things got sort of sticky at the end of the party to a point where my wife actually grabbed me and said, come on, let's go. When the lady said to me, well, I'm doing my part to stop CO2 from warming the atmosphere. Again, what bothers me is that she's very intelligent. I've had this encounter with a lot of intelligent people that they have actually been brainwashed. So we got a whole lot of work to do to try to at least get people to understand what's going on and to look at it. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. While serving in Vietnam, a grenade took my ability to see. Today, I'm a sculptor creating new visions. Now, my fingers are my eyes. As a veteran, I know the challenges of life can be great. In my art, turning a lump of clay into something beautiful, that means a lot to me. Life is like that. We each must use what we can to make things better. DAV helps veterans like Michael get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to uh, Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT Radio. We're talking with environmental scientist Paul Taylor, who's the author of the new book, Climate Fetish. Um, Paul, this recent UN summit that just concluded, they had multiple fashion events. And we were just talking about plastic. Yeah. I interviewed a keynote speaker at one of the events, and I asked him about this report with corporate sponsorship, Google, Ikea, and Mayor Bloomberg in New York, when he was mayor, signed off on this, funded this report. They called for a limit of three new items of clothing per person per year by 2030 in order to meet our net zero climate goals. And I asked this person, they said, well, that, and I said, do you support that? And they said, well, that depends on what kind of clothing. If you're getting organic hemp, you're probably okay to buy more than three. If you're getting cockroach clothing, you're probably more okay. But not if you're getting plastic, synthetic fabrics of any kind, or probably even animal, uh, she didn't specifically say, but animal fabric, because you figure, oh, you need agriculture, and that's going to create methane and environmental destruction. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, this is net zero now, literally the UN defending and billionaires and corporations putting the idea out that we have to be limited to three new items of clothing per person per year by 2030. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just gets crazier. Uh, 
what about the the, the expanded uh, uh, wastewater from washing three, having only three sets of clothes per year? Um, <laughs> you have to wash you know, the wastewater. I I I don't think that's going to happen. Um, well, I I think that's about as absurd as uh, the exhalation control. Well, actually, I interviewed a climate activist, Kevin Anderson, at the UN uh, climate meeting. It was probably COP20 or so in yeah. Poland, I believe it was. And he actually stopped showering in order to lower his carbon footprint and save the earth. So I think they would just tell you you're going to smell more. I don't think they would well, tell you yeah. you're going to have to wash clothing more. But anyway, OK. Well, on the same vein, let me ask you about this. The EPA is being sued by 18 kids with some as young as eight years old in California court for not ensuring their climate future. The Biden EPA is being accused of failing to fix the climate and endangering these children's future. And the lead plaintiff in the case is a 17-year-old girl named Genesis, who says she can't do her homework during the day because our CO2-induced atmosphere has created such warmth in California that she can't focus. So she has to do it in the evening when it's cooler because her parents can't afford air conditioning. Is that a slam dunk lawsuit? I mean, what is your comment on that? Do you think that's a, a viable lawsuit? And is there any science to back up these 18 kids, some as young as eight years old, suing a government unelected bureaucracy for failing to fix the climate? What do you what do you that's make of that? And what does that say, what does that say about our society at large? <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's about the, the most tortured cause of action I've ever heard of. Um, and good luck with that uh, with that uh, filing. Uh, again, this is just this crazy stuff, and uh, you can't make this stuff up. You really can't. I mean, this. So here's an. This is another vic, This is another victim class, right? It's another victim class because of global warming. Uh, yeah, I, I mean. Greta Thunberg told kids, why go to school if you have yeah. no future? There's no future. Yeah. There's no reason to go to school because the climate, we're doomed because of climate change. Yeah, and don't have kids when you grow up. That's AOC <laughs> saying that. Others, others are saying that. Existential yes. threat, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I, I, these, th these things are just, uh, I think there's a lot of gratuitous, just federal government, when they do good, good stuff, the, 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 on the edges of those things, some of these things are just so gratuitous. Um, they, they can't be enforced. They always cost more. There's always an inconvenience involved in it for for the average person. Getting back to this, when I was in my consulting practice, and now that I'm semi-retired, uh, I have been a court expert, and and I'm actually uh, I have an agent in here in Pasadena that's a forensics group, and mm -hmm. I get these really uh, not this odd, but I get some very interesting uh, court engagements. Uh, for example, I don't, Federal Trade Commission. Federal Co Trade Commission has a green guides that prohibits eco claims for advertisements that are false or misleading. Interesting. Do you ever imagine that? They have a whole section, they have a few code section. Uh, that if you use the terms renewable, biodegradable, eco-friendly, compostable, sustainable, uh, they're actionable, if you use them falsely, are actionable violations. And this happened to involve, and I, you know, because of uh, confidentiality, I can't say who it was, but it was basically a, a, a health product for, for babies uh, in their cribs. Anyway, the, it's things you, you never imagine. 
Yeah. Well, so let me ask you, what would you tell if you if what would you tell parents? What would you tell kids who are worried? If, what would you specifically tell kids who are worried about doomsday? And what would you tell parents how to prevent their kids from being indoctrinated from kindergarten through college? How do they fight back intellectually and uh, you know and just culturally against this phenomena that's hitting them from academia and Hollywood and all the media just that they're doomed and that the climate is going to be destroyed they have no future and we have to go full marxist in order to save their future how would you how do you talk to kids and how do you talk to parents yeah well i it's it, that's interesting because some of the college classes now are having as a special project for these kids uh to to give comp, computate your your uh carbon footprint it's basically asking having them present their carbon footprint in front of the class is sort of a climate shaming exercise this is this is crazy uh I, I put them in a private school uh you know unfortunately that's that's expensive um I think this and not only the, the recent exposure of the, I don't know, the, the our, our great universities, that those people started, those people, and my apologies for my generation, we started all the protest stuff back in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And uh, all of that is, those people are running the universities now. And they've gotten totally lost from the the reality, the reality and the and the uh, morality uh, of, of basically life on Earth if they're threatened by people screaming about climate change. Um, I, I, you can only tell them, well, as I said the other day, substitute the word weather for climate. Uh, that might help. Uh, but uh, eco politics comes down to politics and the policies. Uh, of the education associations. What do you make when you hear about like the science institutions, like the governing boards yeah. of the National Academy of Science, the American Meteorological, the American Geophysical Union? You know, they almost uh, to a to a to a board, they all vote. Uh, you know that yeah. the idea is CO two is a problem and it's a concern and we need to deal with it. And they, you know, and and, yeah. and then people use that as evidence that all scientists agree. You know, when we did it, dig it, and we did this in our film and in my books. Yeah, right. the, the, it turns out that the, the actual rank and file are never consulted. It's the governing board of two dozen or so who are steeped in the politics and the funding, but. How do you respond to that when people tell you all scientists agree? Are you a climate denier and invoking the yeah. Holocaust denier when they talk when they mention that? Yeah, are you familiar with Judith Curry's work? Yes, we've had her on this program before. Yes, yeah, uh, she's incredible. Uh, well, you know, she, her, her take on on the uh, cons consensus. She says she says this is a manufactured scientific census that corrupts science, um, and I, I totally agree with her. Um, uh, again, I think that's our job, right? To do something about this, to influence the politics, uh, to come back to reality, to stop all of this, this climate shaming. Uh, you know, it, it, it's the, the ecologista, uh, the hundred and fifty, no, the fifteen thousand basically uh, climate uh, nonprofits. That's a big. Uh, that's a that's a big army of people 
to carry out this lie. Yeah, it is. And you know, you see them in full force at like COP28, which I attended. Let yeah, me ask you a little bit about- By the way, sure. can I just add, I just want to add that the top five of these uh, uh, green uh, nonprofits, those guys are not, uh, haven't taken uh, vows of, of poverty. Those guys are knocking down three, two fifty, three hundred thousand dollars a year doing this stuff at the top at executive. They always say that climate skeptics were funded by the, you know, by corporations and by big oil. Turns out, one donation from the uh, Natural Gas Institute to the Sierra Club to fight coal yep. was more than ever. Like the top three skeptical organizations were ever accused of giving combined. I mean, there's just no right. money. And then, of course, right. ExxonMobil gave a hundred million to Stanford University. Right. The the money now, all the greenwashing and all these big That's corporations, right. the Exxon supported the UN Paris Agreement, and I mean you can yeah. go on and on. It's incredible. But yet they try to flip that. Why do you think you know the big oil companies are so virtue signaling on this? You'll see even OPEC was you know, the OPEC member nations fought the UN on phasing out fossil fuels and instead yeah. allowed the word transition away. Why do they yes. even play the game? You think it's just because of economic sanctions? They want to be the part of the community and nations. It's the peer pressure. Why give in on this nonsense? Well, it is a tax deduction, <laughs> right? Um, yes. Uh, and they, you know, they get green cred. Uh, you, everybody, you've got to be green these days. You got to, you know, draw, you know, walk, walk the line, the green line, and uh, or you'd be called a. Uh, climate denier I, i'd say these other people are, are debate deniers uh and i'll take i'll take the badge of skeptic anytime i i was born as a scientist and, and and that's that's my position in the world what do you think when you when you when they fail through democracy obviously they just they switch it not only do you have the mandates that are executive orders but you have right. something called esg environment social yes. governance which i believe yeah. you wrote about you know, they're now telling banks with government, corporate collusion, with academia, with environmental groups, they're denying funding now to yep. fossil fuel projects. What kind of impact does that have? And what do you think we can do to stop that? I mean, they've corrupted our banking system to do their bidding yes. so that they can buy, again, another way to bypass the legislators. So we, we don't have a say, it's just sort of being imposed upon well, the, us. The, yeah, those ESG scores, those scores are, uh, well, they're job offerings to train, to certify the environmental, which is the E in that ESG, to, to get certification of these, these, these uh, things. But what is happening is there's a bunch of ETFs and other uh, investments that collect, that collect ESG compliance uh, industry. Those are failing. They're failing. They were, they were really hot about two years ago now. But those are failing now because people are not accepting. First of all, many of many of the, the the renewables are failing. I mean, people are they're people they're shutting down yeah. all these East Coast uh, wind farms. Um, this this uh, uh, this uh, sub you know this putting carbon in the ground that cannot be cost effective. It can't be. Yeah. You carbon capture, then you put in some pipelines, yeah. and then you start moving yeah. it around. Two thousand, two thousand feet down, one of them they they take the gas and they freeze the gas. You know how expensive it is to get that down to like minus three hundred degrees, uh, and get it so you can pump it into the ground. 
And, and by the way, if you're taking carbon dioxide out of the air, you're taking one carbon out, you're taking two oxygens out. At what point does that affect our absolute immediate demand for oxygen every time we take a breath? It's kind of <laughs> Interesting ridiculous. question. Well, remember, human breathing, that's good. Less breathing is good for the planet. So. <laughs> Maybe that's how, that's the only way that works, I guess. All right. Well, we're running out of time here. We have about, about two minutes left. But how do we fight this entire agenda? We've seen how they've corrupted the kids. They've corrupted the media. They've corrupted scientific organizations. You have the UN net zero agenda, the, the transition away from fossil fuels. You have most major politicians afraid to take this on. The few who have, Bolsonaro in Brazil, Donald Trump in the US yeah. are facing jail time for, you know, for whatever right. reason. The entire deep state comes after anyone who challenges this. Yeah. And Elon Musk is probably the next one in the target. He came out and said climate fears are overblown and we shouldn't demonize oil and gas. Yeah. And he's seeing his net worth being destroyed now because so much of his money and value is tied yeah. to government and liberals and the whole ideology of climate. Right. So he's shooting himself in the foot. How do we fight back on this in the final well, minute? Well, well, you and I keep it up for one thing. <laughs> Seriously, uh, your work is, 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 is has, Thank an, you. has an enormous impact. And uh, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd follow right along with you. Um, and Musk, Musk he's, he's, a he's, a, he's a practical person. He really is for somebody with that kind of money. And he's just, as you said, he's just come out and said, we're not getting, you know, we're not getting rid of fossil fuels anytime soon. Um, so we have to work on that. And, and, and again, this is eco-politics at its grandest. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a long fight. It's a long fight. But you're, well, thank you very much. And you're, a leader, you're a leader in this fight. Well, I appreciate that. And we, you're, you know, we need everyone in this. And I appreciate yeah. uh, everything you've done. And your book is Climate Fetish. This is environmental scientist uh, Paul Taylor. Uh, you can have the final word. Uh, you know, what What are you going to tell? Just one last thing. These kids in the law, this fascinates me. Eight-year-old. What would you tell an eight-year-old suing the EPA? Uh, what would you tell their parents? <laughs> um, first of all, I, as a scientist, it'd probably bore them. But I, I would explain what... Uh, uh, atmospheric thermodynamic <laughs> radiative forcing is, that is the change in the, the uh, wavelength of the uh, uh, ultraviolet when it hits the earth changes into infrared that heats the earth, uh, but that's not going to get to them. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's about emotion and, you know, there was another lawsuit, 60 Minutes profiled about a girl who claimed Climate change affected her life because she woke up one morning in Louisiana and put her ankle in climate change. Her house had flooded. Uh, so, you know, in terms of storms, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, droughts, where are we on those? Is, is CO2 made them all worse and are we all in the unprecedented bad weather? No, no that's that's all cherry picking uh, stuff that goes on constantly. Um, it's... I, it, you know, it's either the problem is either global warming or or Donald Trump. You know, that's, that's, <laughs> their, that's their answer to everything. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. We've been talking to environmental scientist Paul Taylor. His book is called Climate Fetish. I recommend yep. it. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano. And tomorrow we're going to have we're going to take a deep dive into the breathing study about how you shouldn't breathe uh, due to global warming. Thanks for watching. See you next time.